Hi, I'm Michael Richardson with the Northwest ADA Center, and you are listening to ADA Live. Yo. Good afternoon. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to episode 69 of ADA Live. Hello, everyone. I am Pam Williamson, Assistant Director of the Southeast ADA Center. Before we move on, Listening audience, please submit your questions at any time about ADA and accessible healthcare at adalive.org. Recent studies by the National Council on Disability indicate that people with disabilities experience both health disparities and specific barriers in access to healthcare programs and services, including health promotion and prevention. They also frequently lack either health insurance or coverage for necessary services, such as specialty care, long-term care, care coordination, prescription medications, durable medical equipment, and assistive technologies. Additionally, people with disabilities tend to be in poorer health and to use health care at a significantly higher rate than people who do not have disabilities. Today, our guest is Michael Richardson, Director of the Northwest ADA Center at the University of Washington, and like the Southeast ADA Center, a member of the ADA National Network. Michael will be talking with us about healthcare access in the Americans with Disabilities Act, the importance of effective communication in healthcare decisions, and how healthcare providers can be more inclusive of patients with disabilities. Michael, thanks so much for being with us today. Glad to be here. Let's talk a little bit about the ADA and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. These laws require healthcare providers to ensure full and equal access to health services and facilities. How accessible is healthcare today, and who is affected by inaccessible medical facilities and services? Well, first of all, no healthcare provider is exempt from the ADA. Uh, public and private healthcare providers, no matter how big or small, have an obligation to provide access to healthcare services and programs. Healthcare access can be good or bad depending on where you go and depending on how well an organization devotes resources and efforts to ensuring access. Overall, though, I believe that there's still much work to be done to ensure equal access to healthcare for all and related services and programs. There are many disabilities in which healthcare access can be impacted or may be impacted for people with physical disabilities and who may be using mobility devices. There can be physical barriers from accessible parking issues to accessing common areas, such as the reception areas and restrooms, as well as accessing exam rooms and equipment. People with cognitive disabilities and or sensory disabilities, such as deafness, hearing loss, and visual disabilities, 
often experience barriers related to communication, whether it is verbal communication with healthcare providers or accessing print materials that may contain important healthcare instructions or information. Additionally, people with disabilities can experience attitudinal barriers on behalf of healthcare providers. People sometimes stereotype those with disabilities or make assumptions, such as assuming their quality of life is poor or that they are unhealthy because of their impairments. Some people are denied specific services based on such assumptions. For example, it's not uncommon for some women with significant physical disabilities to be denied reproductive care because there may be an assumption that they are not, nor will they not, be sexually active. Michael, so you mentioned some accessibility features and things that may not be accessible to people with disabilities. What are some of the accessible features that healthcare providers should consider in terms of access to healthcare and facility or building accessibility? Well, in a nutshell, uh, a healthcare provider should think about accessibility from the point of arrival to the check-in process and all the way to the point of, of providing services and, and finishing up with those services. So uh, the point of arrival, we talk about the parking lot. Is a parking lot accessible? Meaning, are there an appropriate number of disability parking spaces that are properly marked and near an accessible entrance? Now, under the ADA, uh, healthcare facilities often have uh, a higher number requirement of disability parking spaces. So that's something to think about as well. Also, is there access to the reception desk or check-in station? Ideally, there would be a lowered portion of a counter for wheelchair access. This would also include the ability to maneuver around the lobby area and easily access the restrooms, obviously accessible restrooms. So thinking about in the lobby area, uh, are there uh, uh, routes for travel? making sure there's no plant planters or, or unnecessary furniture in the, in the path of travel for individuals who may need physical access. That is a lot of great things to consider to ensure that people with disabilities can access the offices and other healthcare places. Also under the Americans with Disabilities Act, state and local governments as well as businesses and nonprofits that serve the public are required to communicate effectively with people who have disabilities. What does this mean concerning access to health care? Well, under the ADA, health care providers must communicate effectively with people who have communication disabilities. The goal is to ensure that communication with people with disabilities is equally effective as communication with people without disabilities. So it can't be a partial communication or, or somewhat sufficient. It's got to be equally effective according to the ADA. The purpose of the effective communication rules is to ensure that the person with a vision, hearing, cognitive, and or speech disability can communicate with, receive information from, and convey information to the covered entity, in this case, the healthcare facility. The key to communicating effectively is to consider the nature, length, complexity, and context of the communication and the person's normal methods of communication. The rules apply to communicating with a person who is receiving healthcare services, as well as with that person's parent, spouse, or companion in appropriate circumstances. So for example, a deaf spouse or partner of a pregnant woman has a right to a sign language interpreter, for example, a Lamaze class or the actual childbirth. 
It is important to also know that family members are never to be used as interpreters, which is still a problem sometimes in, in healthcare uh, services. Having involvement in the deaf community, I've seen many situations where uh, healthcare providers are trying to get family members to be the interpreters and vice versa, which is not appropriate. But the bottom line is covered entities must provide auxiliary aids and services when needed to communicate effectively with people who have communication disabilities. Michael, can you tell us a little bit more about auxiliary aids and services and provide some examples? Sure. So some examples of auxiliary aids and services may include, and this is not an all-inclusive list, but for people who are blind or have low vision uh, or maybe deafblind, this could include providing a qualified reader, uh, information in large print, information in braille, or information that is provided electronically on a disk or a thumb drive or email for use with a computer screen reading program or software, or an audio recording of printed information. Now, going back to the qualified reader provision, under the ADA, under the ADA a qualified reader means someone who is able to read effectively, accurately, and impartially using any necessary specialized vocabulary. So if somebody were to access a medical office and needed uh, enlarged print or uh, had trouble reading materials and there were no alternative formats available immediately, somebody on staff, whether the receptionist or uh, a nurse, should be able to find time to sit down with a patient uh, and or the partner of the patient to read through the materials that are being provided in an impartial manner so that uh, communication is happening that way. For example, often we go into uh, healthcare facilities to read some uh, confidentiality forms and, and sign those forms. So be prepared to uh, have a qualified reader on staff uh, who can uh, play that role to read information to people who may have vision loss. For people who are deaf or have hearing loss who are deaf-blind, this includes providing a qualified note-taker um, or more importantly, a qualified sign language interpreter. Sometimes it's not just always an ASL interpreter, but it could be an oral interpreter, acute speech interpreter, or a tactile interpreter for those who are deaf-blind and may rely on tactile interpreting. Real-time captioning um, or computer-assisted Real-time translation, CART for short, is becoming more prevalent these days with individuals who may have a significant level of hearing loss but who do not use sign language to communicate. We can imagine using uh, captioning in healthcare service programs such as nutrition programs and, and healthcare lectures, things like that. Sometimes uh, the provision of written materials can also help with uh, uh, supplementing oral communication and any communication given in a verbal method. For people who may have speech disabilities, this may include providing a qualified speech-to-speech -speech transliterator, which is a person trained to recognize unclear speech and repeat it clearly, especially if the person will be speaking at length. In some situations, keeping paper and pencil on hand so the person can write out words that staff cannot understand or simply allowing more time to communicate with someone that uses a communication board or device may provide effective communication. And what's important to note here is that sometimes uh, healthcare providers or doctors will have, by policy, a set limit time of patient visits. Now, under the ADA, 
if a certain amount of communication requires extra time, that would take that doctor or healthcare provider beyond their uh, uh, set time. They should consider going above and beyond that set time to allow ensure that communication does take place. So we've got to be sure that uh, there's some flexibility, any policies and procedures provided by the healthcare facility to ensure that such policies and procedures don't impact access to healthcare. Michael, it's obvious that the ADA puts a big emphasis on effective communication, and you've provided us with several examples. Is there anything else that healthcare providers can do to ensure effective communication with patients who may have a disability? Yeah, I think what is key um, is comprehensive and ongoing staff training, especially in facilities that may experience frequent turnover. Covered entities may have established policies but if frontline staff are not aware of them or do not know how to implement them, then problems can arise. So sometimes we see policies and procedures in place, but what is key is ensuring that all staff, including oncoming and onboarding staff, are given continuous and ongoing training surrounding accessibility and the ADA and the provision of uh, uh, auxiliary aids and services, things like that. In my experience, I've seen situations where hospitals say they have uh, assistive listening devices, or they have um, other auxiliary aids and services available, but sometimes staff don't know where to locate them. So having clear policies and guidelines to for people to ensure they have access to those uh, pieces of equipment, and also guidelines to ensure that staff know how to provide appropriate services to ensure, for example, effective communication. Cover entities should also teach staff about the ADA's requirements for communicating effectively with people who have communication disabilities. And note those needs of certain patients in their charts. So when they do, and if they do return, uh, it is uh, more efficient and uh, uh, more expeditious to ensure that uh, the, the provision of auxiliary aids and services will take place again. Also, I think what is helpful is providing a feedback mechanism for patients with disabilities who can help provide feedback about their experiences and services, which can also help in and ensuring ongoing quality assurance. And last but not least, uh, facilities can certainly reach out to the regional ADA Center for assistance and resources, if not training as well. Michael, you've provided us a lot of excellent information about the effective communication requirements and, and parking and access to the building. But let's talk a little bit more about the accessibility barriers that patients with disabilities encounter in examination rooms and medical equipment. What can you tell us about those issues? Sure. Um, quite often there can be many barriers in this area. Uh, we often hear of people with mobility devices not being weighed because there's no accessible weighing scale. So some healthcare providers may think, well, getting somebody's weight is not really significant, but in the grand picture of of fully equitable healthcare services and access, and ensuring that somebody is maintaining good, healthy uh, habits. Weighing somebody and, and knowing what your weight is is critically important in that whole uh, picture of healthcare access. So, uh, simple things like that can be problematic. An exam room may not have an appropriate width doorway, for example, or the area may be too small for a wheelchair user to successfully navigate. So, thinking about having the appropriate amount of space within a, an exam room for uh, wheelchair maneuverability and um, being able to access the exam table or chair. And speaking of which, 
we often see uh, issues with exam tables that are not adjustable or diagnostic equipment that is not accessible, such as mammography machines. Um, so quite often individuals uh, get receive an examination while still seated in their power chair or wheelchair um, because there could be also some policies which states that staff members are not allowed to transfer patients, which can be a huge problem because sometimes receiving healthcare services while in the wheelchair may not be full, fully accessible healthcare services. Some facilities, as I mentioned, don't have staff trained in moving a patient or may lack a Hoyer lift. Uh, often these barriers result in a lack of fully accessible healthcare services. However, um, there are resources and guidelines from the US Access Board that can help healthcare providers address these barriers. It's not to say that every single exam table and diagnostic equipment in a hospital has to be accessible, but by providing some level of complete access can go a long way. So uh, having you know several rooms or one or two rooms with accessible equipment uh, in a large hospital uh, could certainly be sufficient in providing access. But again, the US Access Board has some excellent guidelines and recommendations on sorts of accessible exam tables and chair and diagnostic equipment could work in such facilities. Michael, thank you so much for that excellent overview of accessibility barriers and things that can be done in examination rooms and with medical equipment. Now, ADA Live listening audience, if you have any questions about the topic of healthcare access and the ADA, you may submit your questions by calling 404-541-9001 or through our website at adalive.org. Now let's pause for a word from our featured organization, the Northwest ADA Center. The Northwest ADA Center is funded by the National Institute on Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research and is part of the ADA National Network. The Northwest ADA Center is a part of the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University of Washington and collaborates with the Center for Technology and Disability Studies, a program within the Center for Human Development and Disability. As the ADA Information Center in Region 10, the Northwest ADA Center has aggressively staffed its project with professionals familiar with disability, rehabilitation, rehab engineering, special education, the built environment, accessibility to buildings, and electronic accessibility, civil rights law, and business. The Regional Advisory Committee and our state partners are premier leaders in ADA compliance in each of the states served, Alaska, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. For more information about the Northwest ADA Center, please visit their website at nwadacenter.org. Welcome back to ADA Live. We are speaking with Michael Richardson, Director of the Northwest ADA Center about accessible health care. Now, Michael, I know that the Northwest ADA Center has several resources regarding access to health care. Can you please tell us about some of these resources? Sure, Pam. We do have some fact sheets on accessible healthcare that could also be found on the ADA National Network website. 
These can include overviews of exam tables and chairs, as well as accessible medical diagnostic equipment. Uh, and many of these uh, fact sheets incorporate guidance from the U.S. Access Board, as I mentioned earlier. We also have a medical facility ADA checklist that some people may find useful. It's not a comprehensive checklist, but it's a good way to get started in accessing, assessing the accessibility of your healthcare facility, all the way, again, from the parking lot, the path of travel to the entrance, to the common areas, and to the exam rooms. On a national level, we are partnering with the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, and under the Medicare Medicaid Coordination Office, they offer a professional development resource called Disability Competent Care. That's another resource to access for healthcare providers as well. And lastly, the Pacific ADA Center, one of our partners, has also been developing an accessible healthcare resource hub with new materials being developed as we speak. Michael, that sounds great. So, unfortunately, we are about out of time today. So, is there anything else you would like to share with our listening audience? I don't have much else to say other than I encourage folks to reach out to the Regional ADA Center for Assistance and Training. And again, if you go to the website adata.org, you can locate your Regional ADA Center. And don't be afraid to reach out to them for technical assistance, information, and also possible training requests. We are here to help and want to partner with you in ensuring that people with disabilities have equal access to health care. Thank you. Michael, thank you so much. The information you have shared with us has been very useful. ADA Live listening audience, if you would like to learn more about healthcare and the ADA, we encourage you to check out the four-part webinar series, Healthcare and the ADA, Inclusion of Persons with Disabilities. The webinar series intends to provide information and examples of the healthcare provision, which includes people with disabilities, by following the Americans with Disabilities Act. This four-part series will run from May 23rd, 2019 through October 23rd, 2019. Each webinar is 90 minutes and will be captioned, recorded, and archived. For more information, registration, and archives of the webinar series, Healthcare and the ADA, please visit www.adapresentations.org forward slash healthcare forward slash schedule dot php. The webinar series Healthcare in the ADA is brought to you by the Pacific ADA Center on behalf of the ADA National Network Healthcare Subcommittee. The ADA National Network is made up of 10 regional centers around the United States and one knowledge translation center that provides information and training on the Americans with Disabilities Act. For confidential answers to your questions related to the Americans with Disabilities Act, contact your regional ADA center by phone at 1-800-949-4232. Now, ADA Live listeners, our guest for today for this episode has been Michael Richardson, director of the Northwest ADA Center. And as always, we thank you for joining us on this episode of ADA Live. This episode and all previous ADA Live episodes are available on our website at adalive.org, 
as well as on our SoundCloud channel at soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Life. All episodes are archived in a variety of formats, including streamed audio and accessible transcripts. You can also download the information as a podcast. It's as easy as going to the podcast icon on your mobile device and searching for ADA Life. And as a reminder, if you have any questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can submit your questions anytime online at adalive.org or contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. Remember, all calls are free and confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Orozda with Beth Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marsha Schwanke, and Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. So please join us on the next episode. They're watching. They don't want us to be a part of their city, man. They pull these steps in.